Good morning. How are you? Good. Show of hands this morning. How many of us had a near-death experience with a puddle that was frozen and you didn't see it coming? Anybody else? That was just me. I will take it, though. If the snow's going to melt, I'm okay if it freezes for a little bit. What a beautiful weekend. What an exciting day to be gathered as God's church. I want to start this morning. I want to remind us what we already I said in the announcements. I want to say it again. We believe that it's no accident that you're here. As a person who works at this church, I am constantly amazed to see week after week that people just keep showing up. It's nothing that we can do as a staff. It's got everything to do with God. Amen? Amen. Uh, And God likes to keep us on our toes, and he keeps bringing people here. Uh, And the cool thing is they don't just show up. They don't just hang out and enjoy the donut holes, although that's really cool, right? But God's changing their lives. God's changing their lives. God's opening and revealing himself to them to all of us as we kind of go through this. And what I love about a relationship with God is that it never gets old. Amen? God's grace is new every morning. It's fresh. It's alive. It rejuvenates us, kind of like weather that's above 50 degrees. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're so glad you're here this morning. We believe it's no accident. We look forward to that. We pray for that. We could not be more thrilled that you chose to come and spend Sunday morning here worshiping with us. And to get us this morning, I just want to cut to the chase. I want to ask you a question this morning. I don't know if you think about this very often, but I want you to think about this and answer this honestly in your heart. Do you know how loved you are? Do you ever take the time to think about that? Do you ever just find yourself driving home from work or maybe you're sitting eating dinner with people that you love and do you ever just think, God, you must love me. I've had that several times this week, and and I think it's a good question to ask. Here's what I want you to know this morning. God loves you more than you will ever know, and that's something to be celebrated. God loves you more than you'll ever know, and and it's one thing to know that, right, but it's another to experience it moving from here, that 18 inches, down to our hearts. God loves you more than you know. Turn to the person next to you and punch him in the arm if you want this morning and say, man, do you know how loved you are? Yeah, okay, that's enough fun. Some of you are having way too much fun with that, right? But here's the deal. You're busy, I'm busy. Like, we come in here, I mean, we're all an hour short of sleep. It could get a little loopy in here this morning. So I just wanted to make sure that we got the main thing out of the way. You are loved unconditionally, undeniably, no matter what. Romans 8, no matter what happens, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God loves you. And maybe you've already heard somebody in your life say this to you, but I think we need to hear it again. And if the weather around here isn't enough to convince you that God loves you, then maybe you need to hear these words this morning from Psalm 103. David writes in Psalm 103, he says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. Hopefully when you think about God's story matching up with your story, it's not just abstract, like, oh, God loves me. Right? But you can begin to tell your own stories, your own testimonies of the way that God loves you. Here's some of David's examples. He forgives all of my sins. He heals my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. Verse 11, for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens are above the earth. That's a lot of love. That's a lot of love. Your heavenly Father loves you so much, it's almost ridiculous. 
And I want you to know that this morning. We've been on a journey as a church these past few weeks, uh, beginning with Ash Wednesday back in February. Uh, and what a journey it's been. Today marks the halfway point in our sermon series. We're half done. We've got a couple more weeks left of it before we get to Easter. And it's been a powerful series so far. We've been looking at some of these fundamentals of the faith, uh, diving into the greatest sermon that's ever been preached by Jesus himself, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And here's what's great about it. We're uncovering this fundamental truth, right, these simple ideas that have profound consequences, kind of like the idea that God loves you. And as always, Jesus, in anything that he does, never seems to disappoint. The Sermon on the Mount is no different, right? Who knew being reminded that we were created from dust would be a good thing, right? That you are finite, that you're here one day and then you're gone soon after, because it puts us in perspective with when we measure ourselves up next to God, which is what we talked about the next week, the fact that none of us are good enough for God. Who knew being reminded that there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, to please God on our own, would be helpful? But it is. It is because it helps us understand the grace of God. Who knew clarifying what Jesus really meant when he talked about public displays of religion, right, praying in public, would bless us so deeply. And I think God did. I think God did, and it's good stuff. It's deeply helpful wisdom. But if we're not careful this morning or as we go through the season of Lent, we could miss one of the fundamental things that God wants to give us. We could miss one of the best gifts that is here for us today. And that's our Heavenly Father's love. That's why we're talking about it so much this morning. In some ways, I think the Sermon on the Mount isn't just a sermon that you would sit in a church service and hear. For some reason this week in my mind... I just got the idea of going on a long walk with my dad, right? It's, it's like a father-son or father-daughter chat, uh, just a chance for a wise individual to share some good fatherly advice with us. And I got to say, I love, as a dad, giving my kids advice. Like, I love being involved in their lives. I love being there in those moments when clearly they're learning lessons that they should have learned a long time ago, but they're learning them again for the hundredth time. I love watching out for them protecting them and taking care of them, giving them what they need to make this journey known as life. And I'm pretty sure without their mother or I, without parents around, right, they wouldn't last two seconds. They wouldn't, they wouldn't make it very far. We went swimming this weekend, and, and we had three of our four kids in the pool at the same time, most with life jackets, but the two-year-old didn't want a life jacket. And I said, that's fine. Choose your own adventure on this one, Right? <laughs> And they threw everything at me between all of these kids. They were, every turn, time I looked, I mean, there was a different scenario going on where all I could see was death and destruction about to happen, right? And my six-year-old grabs my two-year-old in a three-foot-deep pool and just starts carrying her across towards the deep end. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. But then there's also the fun stuff, right? Teaching them how to be good friends, how to do their homework, how to destroy someone in a water fight. I mean, these are fundamental skills that kids need to know. And believe it or not, I love being able to take care of them when they're sick. I don't wish them to be sick. I would love for them never to get sick again. But when they're sick, there's something about them curling up with you and being able to say, you know, it's going to be okay, and taking care of them. I think I like it because they actually sit still for more than 30 <laughs> seconds. I love being a dad. I love being a dad. There's nothing I'd rather do. And here's what I want you to know this morning. God feels the same way about you. He loves being your dad. 
And the question I want to ask you this morning is, though, are, is your heart open to that? Do we even slow down long enough to drink that idea in, let alone experience it? Are the channels of communication open? 1 John 3, 1 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. And that's what we are. John wants us to know that. We're the kids, He's the dad. And I don't know if we all know this yet. Right? But God's story, it tells us this very idea. It's our identity that we are his children. And he's one heck of a dad. In fact, he's incredible. And as it turns out, for you and I, as we look at the scripture passage and the topic for today, God, our Father, has great news for us. And not just great news, there's great news, but then he's also got some even better news. And you might be asking this morning, well, what's the good news? Well, here's what I want you to know. God loves you so much and is willing to do whatever it takes to be in relationship with you, right? And again, you're sitting here this morning, maybe you already know that. But do you really know that? In fact, he already has done everything to be in relationship with you. And here's the other thing. God wants to transform your life. In fact, he wants to bring you abundant life, Life to the fullest. And this sermon series is all about working our lives. What can we do, right, to experience a much happier life? But today Jesus is offering us not just a happier life, but he's offering us a storm-proof life. A life that perseveres no matter what comes at us. And yet many of us, so many of us, even in this church, are asking this question, then if God has promised me abundant life, if I have this amazing relationship with God, if I can have this, if I have access to this, then why don't I feel it? Right? Why am I not experiencing that? Why does life seem so much more difficult? And rightly so. It's a great question. I mean, for some of us sitting here this morning, life couldn't get any better right now. Right? It's really good. And for others of us, the waves couldn't be any bigger because the storm is a raging. And I want to ask you this morning as we put these questions up there, if you get these two pictures as you're sitting here this morning, what's going on inside of you? Right? As God's love pours into you this morning, what's God finding when he gets in there? Or is it smooth waves, right? Is it turbulent seas? Based on a number of conversations I've had this week, even with people from this church, right? There's plenty of us that are experiencing some choppy waters. And many of us are asking this question, how am I even going to get through this? How am I going to get through this? And well, as it turns out, Jesus has an answer for us today, so we're going to dig in. If you have your Bible, I want you to grab it. I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at Jesus' formula, this idea that what, what he's asking of us as his disciples to live this storm-proof life. And as you're turning there, let me just fill you in a little bit what's been going on with this sermon. Jesus has been preaching for a while. He's on a hillside. He's uh, beginning to expose his disciples to some of his teaching and he's covering the fundamentals. We've already talked about this. But he's offering teaching on things that we've talked the last few weeks, some stuff we're going to talk about a few more weeks to come until we get to Easter, right? But it's simple and profound. And he's making the point as he begins to wrap up the sermon, right? You always want to save your best material for last, right? You want to finish strong, finish the race, right? He's making the point towards the end of this sermon that you've got two choices in what you're going to do with all this stuff that he's been throwing at us. You've got two choices on how you can go through life. So let's take a look at this, and then we'll talk about a few things this morning. This is Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. He says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on the solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters, and ri the floodwaters rise, the winds beat against that house. It won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. 
But anyone who hears my teaching and, destroy, and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains came, and this is where I think of the song from Sunday school, the rains came down and the floods came up. Anybody else? Okay, maybe that was, yep. Good. I'm not going to make you sing it. My name is not John Anderson. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> the rains came, right, and the floods come, and the winds beat against that house. It will collapse with a mighty crash. Right? Simply put, right, this isn't rocket science what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. He's saying there are two dudes. This is my interpretation of what Jesus is saying. Two dudes. You've got two houses, two different foundations, only one that's going to survive. It's not complex. It's profound. And so much of what Jesus has to say in the Sermon on the Mount, if we would take the time to do two things, this is exactly what he's talking about here, to hear it, And to respond to it in faith, our lives will be dramatically different. Our lives will be not just dramatically happier, right? But the storms would be a whole different experience. Question for you this morning. How storm-proof do you feel like your life is? How storm-proof do you feel like your life is? Because it's not a question of if, right? It's a question of when, Are you prepared to weather the storm? Let's say you wake up tomorrow and you find out you've got an an illness. Let's say you wake up tomorrow, you lose your job. You find out some devastating news from a person that you trust. When things get tough, where do you turn? What's the foundation that your life has been built on? You have a choice between many ways to live life. What Jesus is saying here this morning for us, though, only one of these ways is trustworthy. What you build your life on matters. Amen? What you build your life on matters. I mean, look at the neighborhood in this picture, right? Foundations are kind of important. The best real estate agent in the world, and we've got some amazing real estate agents in this congregation, right? I don't think they can sell that property to a, to a hungry buyer, right? I don't even know if they can sell any of those homes in that neighborhood to anyone who's looking for a house. Why? Because the foundation, the things that you build your life on matter. You still don't believe me? Just ask a couple guys in a car. Found a video clip this week that made me think about this. Turns out our good friends Michael Scott, Dwight K. Schrute, are part of a company, a paper company, Dunder Mifflin, and their company is losing market share in the paper business. And so they're on a mission. They don't want to use this thing called the internet to do business, right? They want to take uh, care packages and fruit baskets to all their customers thinking that will win them over. And as they're on this mission, it turns out they take an unexpected turn. And as you watch this clip, I want you to think carefully about the voices the voices in your life that you allow to dictate, to speak to you, to determine where it is that you go in life. Let's take a look. <laughs> the clip cuts away, but he does look at the camera like, oh man, I knew I forgot something, right? It's just another day in the life of the world's greatest boss, Michael K. Scott. But the reality that that conveys is true. Right? I mean, you need to be careful who you trust. You need to be careful where you decide to build your house, what kind of foundation you're going to have. And the truth is that the ideas and the words, the wisdom that we find in Scripture is worth building our life on. Amen? Amen. 
Hopefully that's consistent with your experience. I know it has been in mine. It's trustworthy stuff. And everyone on the hillside that day as Jesus is teaching all of these things, they knew it. They knew that his, tr- his teaching was trustworthy. Look at the very next few verses describing the people that were there that day. When Jesus had finished saying these things, it's the very end of this whole section of his teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. It says the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority. He had authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Jesus had what these other teachers had, and that was credibility. He taught like he owned the place. Maybe that's because he was the Son of God. And what's interesting is looking at this, I discovered this this week, right? Matthew's gospel is shaped completely around this idea. Not just that he's the Son of God, but that he's one who comes and teaches with authority. You see, it turns out in this gospel of Matthew... Right? The Sermon on the Mount is one of five sections that ends with this phrase, when Jesus had finished saying these things. And you begin to look at these, these five different sections. If, depending on the Bible you have, it's five big areas of your gospel text. If you have the red letters, I mean, the, the whole page is red. That's because Jesus is going off. He's just dropping gems, right? Giving people little gold nuggets to hold on to for the rest of their life. Truth about life and the experience that we have. And as he's looking at these five sections... N.T. Wright in the book I read this week was pointing out this idea that a first century reader, especially a Jewish one, who's got all this history, and some of the words on the page and the way the language is arranged can begin to sense whispers not just of the New Testament, but of the Old Testament. First century readers are going to look at this, and they're going to see these five sections, and they're going to grasp this idea. Wait a minute. This reminds me of something I read before, the Pentateuch, which if you know the beginning of God's story, the first five books of the Bible foundational to God's people for centuries. And it was brought to us by a guy named Moses. It was the earliest source of direction and meaning for God's people. Right? So Matthew, in his skill as a literary artist, isn't just saying, hey, trust this guy. Right? He's saying to the people who loved and supported and appreciated and, and loved spending time and studying the life of Moses... Matthew is saying Jesus is like Moses, only more so. I mean, this most revered teacher in all of the Old Testament has just been shown up by this carpenter from Nazareth just by the words on the page, excuse me, right? And this idea couldn't be more true. I mean, he's not just delivering the story. He is the story, right? He's not just sharing good news, right? Jesus is the good news, And Jesus knows this, and so he closes his sermon with this last illustration to make sure that we grasp as disciples, we don't just hear these words spoken or read in the gospel text, right? But we do something with them, right? We're the kind of people that take the ball and run with it. And that's what Jesus wants us to focus on today, knowing that we're loved and loved to the point where we don't have to worry about what happens. We are free to hear God's word and live it out. And live it out. What's Jesus saying to us today? He's saying that there are two parts to building a storm-proof life. The kind of storm-proof life that only he can create in us. Hearing and listening, doing and obeying. And I want to ask you this morning, how are you doing at both of these things? Right? To have one without the other is to like have peanut butter without jelly, Right? I mean, it's just not, and it just isn't going to work. Hearing and doing, listening 
and obeying to God's voice. This is what it means to be in relationship with him. Do you get to hear? Do you get to read? Do you expose yourself regularly to God's word? Do you hear his voice? I always think of the Verizon cell phone commercials. Can you hear me now? Good, right? And yet sometimes we can hear God's voice, but do we listen to it? I think this is so interesting. And there's a study that came out recently. Every year they do this. Uh, the Bible, American Bible Society does kind of a state of the union when it comes to the Bibles in America. And here's what they had to say this year. They said, we are surrounded by Bibles, right? But not nearly enough of us read them, let alone apply them to our lives. Here are the stats. 88% of the households in the United States of America currently, they think, have a Bible. In the United States of America, we average 4.7 Bibles per household. That's a lot of copies of the Bible floating around. And yet only 37% of us engage it once a week. Once a week, we expose ourselves, we dive into the richness of God's word, the, the, the voice. I mean, the scripture is the primary way that God speaks to us. We can't know what he's saying now, right, if we didn't know what he said back then. And that's not even including the daily. The numbers go down from there, which is so hard to believe when you look at the life of Jesus. As disciples, there's a different picture between the way that Jesus modeled and the life that we live, right? Jesus quoted and demonstrated his knowledge of scriptures all the time. I mean, he was a man of prayer in scripture. He loved connecting with his father, but he also found time just to spend with God alone. That's where the prayer comes in. Countless examples in the Bible, but just a few. Matthew 14, Jesus sends a crowd away so he can pray, right? He wants to be in relationship with his father. Mark 1, Jesus, we find him praying in a lonely place. Mark 6, he instructs his disciples to come with him to a lonely place so they can pray, right? Luke 4, 5, 6, 9, and 21, Jesus gets away by himself to connect with his father. It's all over the pages of Scripture, and you got to ask yourself, what's going on there? Why is he spending so much time doing that? You see, for Jesus, God's word isn't just words on a page. It's a full-blown conversation. It's a reality that he gets to incorporate into his life. He's spending time hanging out with his dad. And as he, do, as he does that, as he hears his voice, as he begins to be nurtured by the voice of his father... He receives his identity. Here's the thing as children of God, right? None of us got to pick our parents, right? You don't get to choose who you are. Your identity is bestowed. And so why is Jesus spending so much time doing this? He's filling his tank with reminders of who he is. He's building that relationship. And as God fills him up, as God blesses his heart, it's out of that that's obedience, this following the wishes of his father comes from. As he spent time with his father, he received his identity, and out of his identity comes his obedience. As humans, though, we want to do that the other way around. We want to start with the things that we do and think that that defines who we are, and then out of that, we get the affirmation from the people in our life. But that's not the gospel. The gospel starts with our father and him coming to us. It's why we enter into this season of Lent every year, so we can be reminded that it's not about us. It's about Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount, reminding us that we aren't good enough to get to heaven on our own. We need to be reminded of these things. 
That's why Jesus has been working at cultivating this love for his father by spending time with him and getting to know him on a personal basis. And again, my question for you this morning is, what does that look like? It's not a should. You should be doing this. It's a get to. Do you hear the voice of your heavenly father? Are you putting yourself in a position to hear his words, to expose your, to yourself to it? Because Jesus says his disciples, the wise ones who are storm-proofing their life, are hearing these words. And I'll never forget the early days of my faith. I mean, I grew up in the church, in a Lutheran church, and I, could, I had the hymnal memorized, right? I was in confirmation, did all of that stuff. But something was missing for me, and I think God planted the seeds in me early on, my Sunday school teachers and all those things, and I believe that God existed, but I don't, I don't think I spent time allowing him to father me. And I can just remember in college, I feeling more alone than I ever had for some reason in my life. And I can just remember one night I just decided, you know, when I go to bed tonight, like, I'm just going to tell God about my day. I'm just going to pray. I'm not in a weird way. I just had my eyes open. I was staring at the ceiling in my dorm room and talking out loud if my roommate wasn't around because I didn't want to freak him out. And those moments became so special like so meaningful to me. There was something that happened as I began to build that relationship. There was a peace and a confidence that I had never experienced before. And all because I actually began to listen, to spend time building a relationship with Jesus. But it turns out that's only part of the equation. Jesus says that for those who are looking to storm-proof their life, we don't just hear the word, right? We put it into practice, you don't just hear the good news, you apply it to your life. You respond with action. And again, if we look at Jesus' life, he's full of action. Other than the verses I read to you just a moment ago about Jesus praying, he's constantly on the move. I was thinking about it this week, I thought, you know, Jesus must have been a really thin guy. He walked a lot. I think he talked a lot. He loved people well. He was all over the place. He's healing, he's preaching, he's trying to sort out his disciples and get them trained up. He's hanging out with sinners like you and me, right? I mean, the guy was everywhere. He didn't need to go to the gym. I think he had it figured out. And we see it in these very next few verses after the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of the next chapter. Jesus is off and he's healing people and he's telling people about God's love for him. Jesus was that guy that probably didn't get good, good grades in middle school because he had too much ADD right, to sit still. He had to get out there. He had to get the message to people. For Jesus, God's word wasn't a book that he just put on the shelf, but it was something he lived, something he breathed. For him, it was more like sunscreen. You apply often and repeat. He was unable to let the words go in one ear and out the other. That's why when push came to shove in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't have to do it his way. He says, God, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus was obedient, even obedient to death. It's part, of why, it's part of why we worship him. But come on, if we're being honest, if you and I are being honest with each other this morning, we struggle with obedience, right? I mean, we struggle to, do, to follow the rules all the time, to put things into practice. It's part of who we are, and it's in our story, early Genesis, right? Adam and Eve had one job. Right? They just had one rule to follow, one thing not to touch. And what did they do? Right? It was like a bug to the lamp. They couldn't resist. Right? And they blew it. And it continued through the Old Testament. And we see it at work in the Gospels. The point that to the, by the time that Paul writes Romans, 
I mean, creation is just a mess. And so in his letter to the Romans, Paul quotes Psalm 14. He says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away, and it's turned. Turn to the person next to you this morning and say, hey, I know, you're a rebel. Okay? Turn to the person next to you. Tell them that they're a rebel. All right? We are. Without Christ in our life, we are rebels. I see this in my own home. I mean, I have these four amazing little people that live at my house with my wife and I, right? And I love them dearly. But every once in a while, I would just love to get eight hours of sleep in a row, right? They wake up at like two, three, sometimes and four a.m. And I just don't understand. Like, it makes sense to me in my mind. Like, in the middle of the night, you would want to go to sleep. And it's not the way that I'm asking them that's the problem. I'm very polite at three in the morning. I'm like, hey, four-year-old, would you like to go to bed, right? To my uh, youngest son, I, he's been up the most lately, kind of driving us crazy. He's just starting to turn the page and sleep through the night again, right? I'm like, come on, don't you just kind of want to help me out with this, right? And the answer's no, right? It's much more fun to stay up and make faces at dad than go to bed. I would pay some serious cash if there was something that I could do to get them to sleep till 9 a.m. that was legal and safe, of course, right? I talked to them Nicely, I asked them, but they have no interest in obeying. They're rebellious. I see it in my own life. Driving down here this morning, I tried so hard to keep it at 60 miles an hour on 235, but it's funny how the speedometer just creeps up a little bit, right? If it weren't for that traffic camera on there. <laughs> and that's part of it. As a pastor, one of the requirements to be a pastor is to be human as well. All of us. All of us find that we have this rebellion, this nature in us that pushes against it. For me, the hardest part, though, I, again, a lot of Jesus' te teaching, it isn't super complex. It's simple, but it's profound. Thinking about this week and my own obedience, when, why is it that I have such a hard time turning towards God and saying, what you say is what I will do? I mean, I just spent all week trying to live out the, the, the two greatest commandments, right? I mean, the teacher of the law comes to him and they say, Jesus, what's the main commandment that we should know? Oh, he just says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, your soul and your mind, right? And he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? I thought, just this week, I'm going to try and do these two really well. So hard. And yet there's this challenge in us that comes from James chapter 1. Jesus sets the tone. James picks it up in his book towards the end of the, the New Testament. He says, don't listen. Don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and forget what you look like. Remember what Jesus was doing on that hill? Spending all that time praying in a lonely place with his father. You forget who you are. But James says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. James is challenging us in the same way Jesus has, not just to hear it, but to put it in practice, to experience God's grace as a reality, to be obedient. And the cool thing as we do this, as we follow Jesus, is he blesses us. Not in any extra special, super spiritual way, right? But he blesses us with joy, right? This is the same kind of joy you have when everything is right and there's harmony in your family, right? When you're with your dad and you know that you're loved, 
And the truth around us is the world needs us, you and I as Christians, as people who are, are living the gospel to be people of action as well. The world around us is dying to hear this good news. To keep it to ourselves would be a shame. And if we don't follow God's request for us to tell the world about him through our words and our actions, then something just seems off. I ran into another video clip this week, and I got to tell you, when I first saw it, it made me really frustrated. I thought it was a little guilt-inducing. That's why I talk so much about love this morning, because I, I think we constantly as humans get this idea backwards. We think that we have to do things for God, even if it's right in our brains where we think, no, God loves me. It's out of that my identity flows. Sometimes we still allow things that we do to creep in and to define what makes us happy and who we are. And I saw this and I thought, man, that's kind of tough on this little church. It's a tough critique. But as I, thought, I saw it, I thought, I think there's a reason why it catches me off guard. So as you watch this, please know, right, none of us are perfect about putting God's grace into action. But as you watch this clip, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to see what God has to say to you about how you're doing with this idea of hearing God's word, going to church, and what it looks like to actually apply it to your life. Let's take a look. There's a powerful visual that comes through that, and it just hit me hard this week. I think maybe not in those particular instances, right? But it got me thinking about this responsibility that we have as people who have been poured into so deeply, who have been loved so well by our God. Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians, as he's settling a dispute between different groups of people in the church in Corinth, he's talking about spiritual gifts and they're kind of arguing about who's the greatest and things like this. And he says something I think that makes a lot of sense in a situation like this. He, he says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, right, but if I don't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I had the gift of prophecy, if I've been given this relationship with God, you could say, and I understood all of God's secrets, plans, and possessed all of the knowledge of Scripture that was possible for me. If I had such faith, he says, that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. To be the church, I think, and only hear God's word, but not put it into practice in our life, is just something odd about watching that video, right? It's like getting in a car to go drive somewhere and there's no wheels. Like it just, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. And so again, this morning, that's why we talk about love is the fact that God's love is in us. It, it compels us to be people, not just who want to spend time with Jesus, right? And that is important and, and we continue to grow in that as disciples and as a church, but also people of action, people of action. And it's why in Philippians 2, Paul tells us maybe what we need to do as people who want to live out the Sermon on the Mount is to look to the attitude of Jesus Christ. I want to close with this today. I, I just want to remind you, we started this morning talking about how much God loves us. Do we know this? 
If you need the proof that God loves you, you can look at the people that he's surrounded you with. You can look at what he's done in this church. I mean, we are in a used car dealership for crying out loud. Clearly God is making something happen around here. But if you need more proof than that, look to these words that describe this attitude and the passion and the action that Jesus Christ took on our behalf. This is what Paul says. He says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. God came to him and he said, I need you to do this. He spoke to him. I need you to go to earth to rescue humanity. Ephesians 1 says, before there was time. And what does Jesus do? Does he hesitate? Does he think, ah, I don't really have time or energy for that or I have this thing that I have to get to? No, it says, when he appeared in human form, not if, it was when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was a man of prayer, a man of the word, and a man of action. And our prayer for us today is that we would be the same. Would you stand with me this morning as we close in prayer? God, we say thank you to you this morning, Lord, for gathering us here for a beautiful day, a beautiful building that we get to come and worship you in. God, we say thank you for the gift of your truth. Lord, for the way that it takes our life off these shifting sands that seem to be moving and changing and are exhausting for us to keep up with. God, you pick us up and you place us on the solid rock. And God, we pray today that you would reveal your word to us, God, your presence to us. And Lord, we wouldn't just hear those words, but we would apply it to our lives. God, that we would be people who would generously apply your wisdom and your grace to our experience here on this earth. God, we pray for great things today. We pray that we'd see you move. We pray that your grace is the story that defines us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. If you need prayer this morning, come on up. We'd love to pray for you. If you want to get your questions answered, Jay will be in the back. You can go talk to him. Learn how to get registered. If you're just hanging out today, have a great week. We'll see you soon.